This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you for traversing the possibility of inclement weather to come here. Because when I rolled out of my house to come here, uh, I thought the heavens were just going to pour out, but they didn't. So even though I brought my umbrella, who knows what the case will be after we leave here. So it's good to see you all. My name is Alan Cruz, and if there's anybody here for the first time visiting, I want to welcome you with the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ and hope that uh, you come and you leave out of here refreshed and invigorated in the Spirit. And we're just going to try and have a good time tonight. Uh, I miss seeing y'all. The, my friends at Cypress Chapel Christian Church send their hellos. And by the way, we took a moment uh, during the worship service to pray for the uh, Haiti team uh, that has left here and have, you know, praise God, landed safely today to do their work for about a week, right? A week's work. So uh, continue praying throughout this week for uh, the devil to be uh, intercepted and for blessing and work and fruit to uh, move forward. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be turning to a, an extremely familiar passage of Scripture uh, in the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 3 and verse 16. If you have not seen the Scripture reference at a ball game yet, go to a ball game and you'll see a text on the side somewhere. And tonight we're going to take a look at that. And what I'd like to do tonight is just uh, most schools and colleges, they have this thing called a homecoming. You know, so many times in, our, in the course of our studies and in the course of our edification in Sunday school and preaching and, and just listening to sermons and then going out and living what we learn, uh, <clears throat> most of the time the gospel is uh, somewhat tacked on at the end and we, and we uh, mention the gospel for the folks uh, to respond to who do not know Christ. But what I'd like to do today is, and I've made this a point in my ministry at least one time during the year, I am going to take an entire session, uh, an entire message, and just focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. How to get to heaven and man's greatest need. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight uh, throughout the entirety of our, you know, the little bit of time that we have together tonight to just focus and have a little homecoming and go back to that really special place that, that eventually landed us here. In fact, the reason you're here tonight is because something extremely wonderful has happened in your life and in my life at some point. It may have happened recently. It may have happened years ago. And what is that event? We came to a place in our lives when we realized I was a sinner, and that because of my sin against a holy God, I had to bear the consequences of that sin, which is not only physical death, but also uh, spiritual separation from God and hell forever, forever and ever. So I came to that point in my life, and I know you did too, and gloriously, you, kneel, you knelt before God. I don't know what you did, but you bowed your head and said, Lord, I believe what Jesus did for me on the cross and I invite him into my heart and life forever, and I, can, and, and, I, and I want to serve him for the rest of my life. And I can tell you, and you can probably testify to this, is that you 
and I are not the same person since that time. Although all of, all of the elements of sin and, and, you know, and its uh, aggravation in our lives has not left us because we deal and contend with it on a day-to-day basis. You know, Christians, they say, aren't sinless. They sin less. And I can tell you, I sin less. But sometimes my family realizes I sin a little bit more sometimes. And so maybe you do too. So that's something that we all work on together. And thank God for 1 John 1, 9. If we, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad for that verse? Because if we did not have that verse, guess what? We'd be living miserable, uh, unvictorious Christian lives, wouldn't we? Okay. So, tonight we're just going to look at uh, this topic of what man's greatest need is. John 3.16, if you've not turned there yet. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. May I read verse 17 too? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So as we think about man's greatest need today... uh, His greatest need is to be saved from his sins. I want us to take a a, a little bit of a moment to think about what our society is like now today. It isn't isn't like the the days of Leave it to Beaver or the Brady Bunch or Green Acres or even Sanford and Son for that matter. You know, the the days we live in today are extraordinary days. They are days that make us shake our heads. We turn on the television set to watch the daily news. We... We get on the Internet and see what's going on, maybe through CNN or Fox News or whatever news outlet you subscribe to. And some of the things that are going on in this world that people do are just absolutely phenomenal and incredible. The things that, that we see that make us shake our heads. And you ask yourself, you know, how in the world can people do some of these things? The horrific things that parents do to their children, that children do to their parents, that armies of the world inflict on innocent people all over the world, the financial woes, the moral decay that we see today, these are things that you know, cause us to wonder what in the world is going on. And the Bible is very specific on what actually is going on. Man's heart is decrepit. You know, I think over there in Jeremiah it says the heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. That's a pretty, that's a pretty strong commentary on the heart coming from the Word of God. The heart is deceitful. That means it's a liar and desperately wicked. When was the last time you called somebody wicked? Hey man, you know what? I think you're wicked. Something's wrong with the inside of people's hearts. People try to explain away what's actually going on. uh, People say it's because of their upbringing. People say it's because of their environment. People say it's just because of bad luck. And people say it's just, you know, it's just what they want to do. But, you know, God doesn't spend a lot of time giving us big words about what's wrong with man. You know what? He gives us a three-letter word, sin. That great preacher from time past, Adrian Rogers, said, sin thrills and then it kills. Sin fascinates and then it what? Assassinates. Nothing could be truer. 
this dormant ability for evil and this dormant ability for extreme good lies inside every one of us. So God, what He does is He confronts us with this seed that's inside of us that started all the way back in the book of Genesis. Many of y'all are familiar with that. So this is our homecoming, and how did that start? Where did evil originate? We have to ask that question. And we think about a long rebellion that occurred a long time ago, and we're, we're made aware of it in Isaiah chapter 14. It talks about this wonderful, beautiful angel that God created. His name was Lucifer back then. But he was renamed Satan when he put it into his heart and said, I will be like the Most High. I'm, I want to be God. I want to rule above Almighty God Himself. So what happened? God threw him out of heaven. And a third of the angels we hear fell with him, who are now the demons. He's now been renamed Satan. And so God creates us, the first man and the first woman, and he tells them, specifically in the beginning, he says, I want you to eat everything you want out of this garden. It's the most wonderful salad bar you could possibly imagine. We've got figs, we've got broccoli, if you like broccoli. I know there's cabbage there, wonderful flowers. Everything, you, the place was literally teeming with agricultural bliss. But you know, he gave them one caveat, that one right there. Don't even walk towards that. Don't even look at it. The day you eat from that one, you are going to die. When they did eat of it, they didn't die right away. They died spiritually. So they go over there and they disobey God. That tree was a symbol of to see if they would be obedient to their almighty maker. And I don't know what kind of fruit it was. A lot of people say it was an apple. For me, a nice Georgia peach would be a more enticing uh, fruit to eat than an apple. But, but Satan, in the guise of a serpent, tempted them with the very same thing he wanted do, to do with God. He wanted to be God. And then he tells our first parents, you shall be as God, just like him. And so guess what? That sin transferred over to every man that has ever been born ever since. We call that inherited sin. And then there's a second type of sin. It's called imputed sin. From the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Moses, when the law came, every time man violated God's commandments, that violation was imputed to us. And there was a consequence that was required for that violation. Sometimes like that, it was stoning, death. You know, you were, you were under the law. And there's a third type of sin, and that is personal sin. Those are the ones we commit on our own. The, thing, the choices we make out of, our own, out of our own volition. Three types of sin. In, uh, inherited, imputed, personal. But then there's a fourth imputation. Listen to this carefully. There's a fourth imputation. And this is the imputed thing that Jesus did. He took our sin and imputed them on Himself. That is the miraculous thing about the Gospel. is that our sin, instead of us paying for it, was laid on Christ and He died. He paid the price. He paid 
the judgment that was required on us. Substitutionary death. If somebody came along and just asked you and told you, I want to pay off all of your debts, or somebody came to a death row inmate and said, I want to die for this person, that death row inmate would jump for joy. And that is what Jesus did for us. He took our sins on a cross. So that is what is wrong with man, is that man is a sinner. The Bible is very specific about our sin. And nobody likes to talk about sin too much anymore today, do they? But you know what? It, it, is, uh, it is Bible truth. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're, we're, we're going real good. We're almost there. And then we trip up. We've fallen short of the mark of God's perfection. And the Bible says, for all have sinned. And then over there in Ezekiel, it says, the soul that sinneth shall die. Then in Romans, it goes on to say, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is our only hope. Every person that has ever been born has that seed. You know, when my kids were growing up, I never had to tell Joel, would you please stop telling the truth? I never had to tell Jenna, would you please stop being so obedient? Imagine that. You know, they knew how to do the opposite already. I didn't have to teach them. So, and that's probably the same with your kids. It's, it's the same way for every family. This thing called sin has converged on every life in this world. And sin is destroying, and sin corrupts. And the sin just, I mean... It is, it, is the, it is the propulsion for evil. Evil is just a manifestation of, you know, everything we see. So man's greatest need is to be saved from his sin. And God's greatest gift was his son. Think about that. You know, God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't have to come, but you know what? He loved us that much, for God so loved the world. L-O-V-E. It's hard to define that word sometimes. Gary Chapman from the Five Love Languages defined it, defined it great. You've probably heard him before. He said, uh, love is a word composed of two consonants, L and V, two vowels, O and E, and two fools, you and me. I like that. But you know what? God still loved us. And you know, since we're sinners, guess what? We are God's enemy. When you're a sinner and you're not saved, you are at enmity with God, the Word of God says. Enmity with God. You are His enemy. And I've always, I've always thought about that verse where it says, love your enemies. Probably one of the hardest things for us to do is to love our enemies. Somebody that has just absolutely, totally wronged us. To love your enemies. And if you think about it, God has been doing that all along when he, when he says, I love you, for God so loved the world. He was constantly loving his enemies. We were his enemies at one point. The Bible says, you know, it, talk, it talks about here where, you know, he, doesn't believe, he, he who doesn't believe in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in, in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Love your enemies. God has proven that over and over in our lives by loving us when we were once his enemy. Now we're called the friends of God. We're the children of God. John 1.12 To them that received him, he gave us the power to become the 
sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. So imagine the immensity of that. God coming down in human flesh in the form of a baby. I just had my little niece for about three days. And boy, she can cry and praise the Lord that way. I tell you what, she's got good lungs. Feeling those fat little thighs and the cheeks and everything. I love that. And to think that God came in that form for us. And the devil did all he can to take that baby out. But that baby grew up. And he had a three-year ministry that, has, that is still impacting our world today and our ministries today. And you know, he said he's going to build his church and nothing's going, to, nothing's going to destroy the church. We're still here. Christ came in our stead. And I'm just so thankful for that. I hope not a day passes where you don't thank God for your salvation. Thank Him for your salvation every day. That, is, that was the greatest need for us, is to be saved from our sins, and God delivered. Remember back in Genesis, when He told Adam and Eve that um, you're going to... The serpent's going to be bru- you know, bruise God's son, but you're going to crush his head. Well, what happened on Calvary is that the head of Satan and all his demonic powers and everything else were extinguished finally. We, he crushed our enemy's head, enabling us to finally have victory over sin. Not only do we have our greatest need, we have our greatest gift. What is our response to the greatest gift? Our response today is to receive that gift freely. It's a gift. You never think about salvation as that, but it is a free gift to offered to us. And that's the only way we can accept it. Most people out here you talk to, they're trying to work their way to heaven. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door by their own efforts. But I'm so thankful that we don't have to work for our salvation because somebody did all the work for us already on the cross. And the Bible specifically says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves not of works. It's the gift of God. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, according to Titus 3.5. So, here we have our loving God offering us this free gift to us. And what do you do with a gift? How many times has somebody given you a gift for Christmas and you said, okay, how much do I owe you for this? You've never done that because they give it to you freely of their own volition and love to you. Adrian Rogers told a story a long time ago about a, a woman that was very uh, sick and her mother left her all day because she had to go work just to provide for them. And the young lady said, you know, Mom, I could really use some fresh fruit. I, I'd really like to have some fresh fruit if, I, if we can afford some. And she thought about it and said, I'll, I'll see what I can do. So on her way to work, she passed by this really big wall. And this big wall had a big iron gate, and it was open. And she looked in there, and she saw the most wonderful vineyard she's ever seen. And she walked in a little bit, and then walked in a little bit further to notice all of these great clumps of juicy grapes hanging from those vines. And then she thought about her daughter. And then a voice from behind her sounded, What are you doing here? 
And she said, I just came in and, I, and she told her story. And then, while she was explaining herself, another voice from behind the gardener who confronted her, what's going on here? It was the king of that village. Sire, she came in here, I don't know what she was doing here, and then the king asked her, what's your story? And she told him the story about her daughter. And then the king took out a dagger from a sheet that was on his waist and started walking towards her. And instead of walking towards her to attack her, he walked directly towards those large clumps of grapes. And he said, Madam, stretch out your apron. So she stretched out her apron, and he started cutting those luscious, plump, juicy grapes and started placing them on her apron. And there were so many he had put on there, she said, Stop, stop, I can't afford all of these. I don't have enough money. And the king looked at her sternly, straight in the eye, and said, Madam... If you're going to take the king's grapes, you're going to have to take them as a gift because the king's grapes are not for sale. And you know, that's the same way it is with us. This world of ours, they are banking on good works. They're banking on their behavior. They're banking on what they've done. But you know what? When they stand before God, they're not going to have anything to bank on unless they have Jesus Christ as their Savior, because that is the only entrance you're going to be able to have, is if you have Christ in your life. One of the most fearsome scriptures you know, in the New Testament is when Jesus, when the person tries to tell the Lord all of the great things He's done for Him. You know, in your name we've cast out demons and, and such and such, and the Lord looks at them and says, Depart from me, you accursed, I never knew you. You know, one of the worst things that I do sometimes is I, I think I know somebody in a crowd and I walk up to them, hey, you remember me? And the person looks at me and says, I don't know you. Because uh, from afar I thought they knew them. That's a horrible feeling. And you know what? Many are going to get that response on that day of judgment. As it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. We're going to have court one day. I go to court a lot you know, doing what I do. And uh, sometimes I'm sitting there and I talk to some of the people that have to be there, either for traffic or criminal offenses. And they said, oh, I can't stand it. I, I, can't, I hate being here. And then I look over at them and said, yeah, I hate being here too. So yeah, but you're, this is your job. I said, I know, but, you know, nobody likes to be in court. Many times I've sat before that sacred bench, before that person in the black robe, and I have watched people perjure themselves to the nth degree. Sometimes perjure themselves to the point where the lie is so blatant and then I present video that counteracts the version of their truth. You know, when we get to heaven, it's very sobering to know that there is not going to be a silver-tongued lawyer there to get us out on a technicality. Everything is going to be final. Everything is going to be just because God is just and God is holy. Christians have an incredible future ahead of them. You and I, we have an incredible future because the world is now encroaching on our belief system. And they are going to put us on the spot and say, do you believe in this or not? And we're going to have to say, 
by the grace of God, I have to do what my Savior says. That's the only time I will violate the law is when it goes against the grain of the law of God. And all of us are going to be there one day. Some of us may even lose our jobs. Some people overseas are losing their lives already. It's an amazing time we live in where Christians are being attacked from all sides. Children, women, look at the ways they're doing it. They're setting us on fire. They're decapitating us. They're dropping us off buildings. Things that even the first century wouldn't even do (laughs) that we're seeing today. We need to be ready. We have this incredible gospel that God has given us to infiltrate the world for Him. Time's running out. I don't set dates, but I believe the coming of the Lord may be very soon. And we need to be caught doing His business. So, thank you for this homecoming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to celebrate. We need to put it out there to this harvest that is ready for harvesting. The harvest is white. It's ready to be harvested. And many people are dying to hear the gospel. And God has specifically placed you and I, wherever you go, in those places to share this great and wonderful good news. We watch enough bad news. People need some good news. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel can deliver. The gospel can give you a new life. The gospel can give you an abundant life. Not, not more so materially, but in your heart. Thank you for your attention. It's good to be here. I missed y'all. Continue to pray for Pastor Thurman and and the team. I think they're going to come back with some great news and, and great testimonies of what God's done. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you, Father, for for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that when we were yet sinners, Christ came and died on our behalf. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room does have a personal relationship with You. Oh Lord, how tragic it would be for for some of us who have been going here for so long into this sanctuary and Sunday after Sunday hearing the Gospel and not responding to it with an open heart. So Lord, I pray if that person is here today that Lord, You would convict them through Your Holy Spirit that this is an issue in their life, the most important issue that they'll settle today with you because you love them and you want to give them a home in heaven someday and and give them an abundant life here now. Father, thank you for our continued Christian liberties. We thank you for our country. We thank you for our military. We thank you for our leaders. Lord, help them to make the right decisions. Give them wisdom, Lord. Father, help us in each of our own little worlds and places and jobs where you put us. Help us to be effective in ministry for you, Lord. And we thank you for the privilege of service to you. In Jesus' name we all pray. God's people said, Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? 
His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.